This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. It's very, very important in our development as human beings. And conversely, not knowing who we are uh, can cause an identity crisis. When I say knowing who you are, not who you are, I'm not talking about, you know, you have a case of amnesia and you forgot your name. It's uh, much more important than that. And so if we don't know who we are, psychologists say that it can cause us all kinds of problems with inferiority or insecurity or low self-esteem or just general a negative outlook in life. There's a whole industry that is built on trying to discover your inner self, the real you. Shed loads of books, DVDs, CDs can be bought online or in shops, all to the end that you and I get to know who we really, really are. If you ever gone through any airport and you go into Easton's there, any of the bookshops there, you'll see loads of self-help books. And the bottom line of all of it is, is discover this real inner you. If only you could find that and release that, then you would be a super person if you could do that. Now, while there may be some merit in that, and I don't doubt that there is some merit in that, but I think it just does not come even remotely close to the infinitely greater, more important secret. And that is not so much knowing who you are, but whose you are. Knowing whose you are. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Romans 17, 7 and 8. Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In Acts 27, the Apostle Paul was a prisoner going to Rome. And you remember the story how that the ship was in danger of sinking and all lives being lost because of the great storm that was, that was upon them. And uh, the Apostle Paul took some time out in that situation to fast and to pray, to seek God. And the angel of the Lord came and told him that everything was going to be fine. And that uh, he would relate this to the captain and to the centurion and to the crew and to the prisoners. And he comes to this part where he says this in Acts 27, 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. The authorized version says, to who, of whose I am and whom I serve. So, throughout scripture, the Bible reiterates, reiterates again and again and again that we belong to God. Even as unsaved, we belong to God by creative right, but as believers, we belong to God by redemptive right, which is much more important, of course. And so there's this, there's this thing within every man that wants to discover who we are. And 
important as that is to know who we are, it's much more important to know whose we are. Now, just recently, the Invictus Games were being played out. The Invictus Games are games particularly for those who maybe served in the armed forces, now they're through injury or sickness or they're veterans, that they get the opportunity to do certain games. It's kind of like a mini Olympics. And Prince Harry, of course, he's the one who opens it every year. But the name Invictus, it's a Latin word which means unconquerable or undefeated. And where they got that from, the idea of Invictus, was from a poem uh, by William Ernest Henley. William Ernest Henley, as a young boy, uh, contracted uh, tuberculosis, and it went to his bone, Pott's disease. And when he was about 17 years old, he had to get his leg removed from the knee downward. And in fact, they were talking about losing, losing the other leg, but they managed to save that. And in that period, he wrote many, many poems, even as a young man. But one of them became famous, the one about Invictus. And let me read it to you, because the, the two lines that it ends with, ends with is important. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. So this is a poem that this young man is going through the <laughs> the difficulties of life, the trials of life, the indignities of life, and yet in spite of it, he manages to rise above it. That's the ethos of the poem. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Here's the two lines. I am master of my fate. I am captain of my soul. And actually we're not. Now, the human spirit is very often indomitable and can handle much and can go through much and conquer much. And obviously this young man, when he wrote this, and he rose above this, no question about that. He lived till he was in his 50s before he died, a very full life. But if you notice that, God's not in that. It's him. It's me. That's what he's saying. I have risen above this. I am unafraid. I am unconquered. I am unbowed. I am unbloodied. It's all I, 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 I. And so that kind of idea permeates into society today where we are the captain of our own soul, that we're the ones in control of everything in our lives. But that's not really true. We really aren't. And Paul says we're not our own. We were bought with a price. We, as believers, were literally bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And the cross of Christ made us particularly and peculiarly his. Now, this is where the struggle of surrender comes in a person's life when the Holy Spirit convicts and brings the person to the place of repentance. And every one of us struggle with this because you come to that place where you know, if I surrender, I am giving up my autonomy of my life. I'm giving up control of my life to another 
I will no longer be in control. I'm giving that to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be the one who will control my life on forever from here on out. And that's the struggle people get to. You get to that place where you think, well, if I take this step, then I'll not be able to do everything I want to do. I will have to submit my whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful whenever we do that. In fact, until we do that, we're not really saved, really. We need to submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him full and complete control. Now, throughout our Christian life, we resist that, don't we? (laughs) Sometimes we fight against that. But hopefully in the end, we keep surrendering and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done in my life. And so in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so knowing whose you are, who you belong to, when you find that out, then you'll know who you are. But you need to know whose you are. And the whole world's trying to find out who they are, but they'll never find out really until they find out whose they are. And once you know you belong to Christ and you surrender to him, then you find out who you are. Jesus in Luke 16, 13 said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You either serve one or you serve the other, but you can't serve both. Jesus said, in John 8, 34, uh, <laughs> the Pharisees and the scribes, they said to Jesus, we were never in bondage to any man. <laughs> that, was a, that was a big boast. I mean, there they're under the heel of the Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire. And over and over and over again in the Old Testament, you see how they were, they were taken into captivity again and again and again. They were in bondage to many nations. <laughs> we're not in bondage to any man. We're Abraham's seed, they kept saying. But Jesus answered, he cut across all of that. He says, whoever sins becomes a servant of sin. Whoever sins becomes a servant of sin. In other words, sin becomes your slave master. (laughs) You become a slave to that sin. Whatever sin we do not surrender to Christ and deal with, that becomes our master. And we can't serve two masters. And very often that's where spiritual life begins to drip and to go down and to drop because that particular sin holds us and masters us. And it shouldn't, but often it does. And whenever we're doing that and walking that way, then that controls us. See, the world thinks, the world doesn't talk about sin, but what we know is sin. They think that's wonderful. They think we'll use that, we'll, we'll, we'll get pleasure from that, or, or we'll, that will benefit me. In the end, that's what controls them, and it destroys them in the end. But if we surrender to Christ, then we become his servant. Then he becomes our master. So the bigger question in life really is knowing whose you are rather than who you are. And knowing to whom you belong will help enormously and help you overcome all kinds of insecurities and inferiorities and negativity and all of that, <laughs> knowing I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my master, bought and paid for by his blood. 
So it's absolutely vital that we get this right. Knowing whose you are will help you discover who you are. Paul of Tarsus and his unconverted days, he measured life in terms of his achievement, his accomplishments, especially in the religious world and with the ecclesiastical establishment of which he was a big, big part of. And that's, as far as he was concerned in his unconverted days, that's who he was. Uh, Let me just read this here in, in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it seeth. Beware of dogs. That's not the four-legged kind. That's false teachers. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. In other words, that's the ones who say, well, if you want to be a Christian, that's fine, but you've got to be circumcised to be a Christian. You've got to keep the law of Moses. It says, beware of them. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Now, notice what he lists here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning the persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So here is a big, big list of things that he accomplished. And he was way ahead of almost everybody else in this. That was who he was. You know, Paul built his whole life and all those accomplishments He built his whole life climbing up the ecclesiastical ladder till he got almost to the top. And that was who he was. That's what he thought all his life. You see, we're not much different, are we? Oftentimes, who we are depends on what we accomplish, what we do, how we perform, what, what, how we got to the top of whatever it is we're trying to get to the top of, then that's who we are. But it isn't. It isn't really, truthfully. When you find out whose you are, then you can be like Paul. Listen to what Paul says. But those things which were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So as soon as Paul found Christ, as soon as he knew whose he was, who he belonged to, then all those other things that he thought, that was me, that's who I was. And he says, no, 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 that was foolishness. This is who I really am now. I'm in Christ. I belong to him. And so even as believers, sometimes we, we compare ourselves. We look at ourselves and say, this is who I am, and I can do this, 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 and this. But then we look at somebody else and see who they are. And what they're doing is bigger and greater and far more reaching. And we look at them and we get despondent and we get discouraged and we become inferior. We feel inferior to them. Or else on the other hand, 
we look at somebody over there and we say, well, not much going for them. They haven't got very far in this life. They're not doing much. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And then we feel superior. And both those things are wrong. That's because we're looking at ourselves, seeing ourselves as ourselves. But if you see yourself in Christ, if you know who you are in Christ, then it's entirely different when you know whose you are. And it's the cross that brings an understanding to us of who we really are in Christ. Paul, in his epistles, he centered a lot on our position in Christ. That was one of the main planks of his preaching. Everywhere he went, he tried to get believers to see who they really were in Christ, whose they were. And in fact, in the New Testament, the, the, the phrase in Christ is very repetitive. Paul wrote it many times. Or it's equivalent like in him or through him or in the beloved or in Christ Jesus. In Romans, it's written 18 times. In 1 Corinthians, 22 times. 11 times in 2 Corinthians. 9 times in Galatians. 31 times in Ephesians. In fact, in 10 verses, he writes it 11 times. 19 times in Philippians, 16 times in Colossians. In fact, 146 times all he writes it. Don't you think the Holy Spirit, who's the real author of this word, don't you think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something? Isn't he trying to impress upon us who we are in Christ? That's why Paul wrote that again and again. And so our Father wants us to feel safe and secure and confident about who we are in Christ. If you're not confident about who you are in Christ, it leads to all kinds of problems, not only in your spiritual life, but in your regular life. So we need to be absolutely (laughs) certain to whom we belong, whose we are. Now, I fully believe in divine sovereignty completely but I fully believe in human responsibility completely too. And theologians has wrestled with with this problem for centuries and they haven't fully solved it yet. None of them. But just for a moment or two tonight, I want to focus on the the Godward side (coughs) of that equation. The sovereign side of that equation. In Ephesians 1, and that's why I told you to turn to this, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 7. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. You read it in whatever translation you've got. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Isn't that incredible? Even before he created the world, he had you in mind. He saw you. And he saw you in Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. (laughs) Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew... 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The Amplified in Ephesians 1.4 says, even as in his love he chose us, he actually picked us out for himself as his own. Isn't that lovely? He actually picked us out for himself as his own. The evolutionist tells us that we're here by random chance, that we're a fluke of some cosmic something billions of years ago. Somehow something happened that brings some kind of a life and we evolved from all of that. The evolutionist says it was all happenstance, it was pure chance, it was just luck. There was no creator, there was no design, there was no great mind behind it, it just happened. But we know different, don't we? We know that God in his infinite love, he actually picked us out. We are the deliberate, conscious, predetermined purpose of Almighty God. I would rather believe that a million times than believe that other nonsense that these other people tell us. In other words, you were meant to be. You count. You are the offspring of God. You're neither accidental or incidental. There's purpose to our lives because God created us. He made us with purpose. Even before the foundation of the world, he saw us in Christ and had a plan for our lives. The stamp of divinity is upon us. We're made in God's image. Wayne Gruden, the theologian, he says, since we did not exist before the foundation of the world, God, looking into the future and knowing that we would exist, thought of us as being in a special relationship with Christ. He did not first choose us and then later decide to relate us to Christ. Rather, while choosing us, he at the same time thought about us as belonging to Christ in a special way, as being in Christ. Therefore, he thought about us as eventually having the right to share in the blessings of Christ's work. God saw us in Christ. God planned for us in Christ. Hmm. And I would love to get to the other side of the equation, to human responsibility, but that's not my purpose tonight. But I want you to be encouraged, believers tonight, that God saw you before the foundation of the world. And if God saw us before we were even born, how much more does he see us now that we are born? And if God saw us then, how much more does he see us now? And if God sees us now, how much more will he see us out there? tomorrow, next year, and a hundred years from now. <coughs> all of this, the Father's will and purposes for our life, all of it was contingent upon Christ dying for us on the cross. We're only his by redemptive right because he sent his son to die on the cross to redeem us. That's the only reason we are his by redemptive right. Without the cross, we never would have discovered whose we are. We would have been forever left to go about this world trying to find out who we are without any answers. But once you know Christ, you know who you are. And so our purpose is in God is in Christ. Now the Bible says that God seals us. The Holy Spirit seals us. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom you also trusted 
after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The seal was for ownership. It was to authenticate. It was to guarantee. In those days when somebody bought something, then before they came to collect it, then it had to be sealed. There was a seal put in that so the person would know that's who that belongs to. There are seals on that. And it might have been just a little design on a ring or something pressed into wax, but it was their seal. And so once that seal was on that, that belonged to them. And even though they may have to go away and come back and collect it, but it was theirs once that seal was on it. And the Holy Spirit is the seal in our lives. Notice the progression there. Him also you trusted after you heard, having believed, you received. So having heard the gospel, having believed the gospel, having trusted in the gospel, then we get saved and we get sealed by the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. So sealing is important. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and have known by my own. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And so we belong to him and we have been sealed to prove that we are his. Romans 8 and 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it's the Spirit of God proves that you are His, that you belong to Him. You say, well, how, how do you know? How, do, how does that work? Well, if the Spirit of God resides in us, then we will hunger after the things of God. Not the things of this world, but the things of God. And we will love the Lord, and we will love His house, we will love His Word, we will love worshiping Him. The things of God will be attractive to us and will have less of the things of the Word because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's in us to lift up Christ, to worship Him, to adore Him, to serve Him, to magnify Him. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The guarantee that you belong to Christ is the Holy Spirit in you. The guarantee that he's coming back for you is the Holy Spirit in you. You see, he left us, but not alone. He left us with his Holy Spirit. But that's the promise that he's coming back for us. We have been bought by the blood of Christ. No question about that. We are bought by the blood of Christ. He owns us. But how many knows that that salvation is a progress. Our souls are saved. But what about our bodies? What about our bodies? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? The apostle Paul he loved the Corinthian church. He was away from them at this time. While he was away, some other preachers come in. 
teaching all kinds of nonsense. But they came with these great letters of commendation, these glowing letters. And the Corinthians accepted that. Now, whenever Paul decided to come back to them, some in the Corinthian church were saying, Paul, well, can we see your letter? <laughs> can we see your letter? And Paul says, what? See my letter? This is what he says. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. When I led you to Christ, you became my letter of commendation. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Paul said, listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are my letter. You're a living letter, Paul said. You're a living letter. When I led you to Christ, and the Holy Spirit came into your life, and your life changed, that's all the commendation I need. <laughs> I don't need a letter. You're my letter. You're the proof and evidence of who I am. Second Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his. The seal of God lets us know that we belong to him. The seal of God lets heaven know that we belong to him. The seal of God lets hell know that we belong to him. The seal of God lets this world know that we belong to him. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, that sends a message to heaven, to hell, to earth, that we belong to Christ. He is the seal on our lives. And even though we cannot see a seal, a physical seal, but it's in our hearts, and that will be evident that will come out. Now, Romans 8, 18 to 23. I want you to turn to this. Romans 8. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. This whole world that we live on is creaking. It's groaning every day, waiting to be renewed. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, note this, the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body, we are saved in this hope the redemption of her body. Sorry to be so blunt about this, but our bodies are decaying every day. <laughs> they really are, aren't they? The older you get, then you begin to creak too. Clifford and I was talking before the meeting and we said we're like creaking gates. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? 
You don't jump out of bed when you're 80 like when you're 25. I'm not 80 yet, but when I get out of bed, my ankles is a bit stiff. You do be putting WD-40 on them to get you going in the morning. <laughs> because our bodies are creaking. They're getting older. But we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. God hasn't finished with us yet. Our eternal souls. The inward man is being renewed every day, though the outward man is perishing, the Bible says. But one day... One glorious day, he will give us a body like unto his glorious body. And there will be no creaking. You'll not need these glasses. You'll not need your hearing aids. You'll not need anything. You'll be fit as fiddles. Thank God for that day that's coming. Amen. <coughs> but the whole world is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For God to have done what he needs to do with us. And then he'll come for us. Ephesians 2 and 7 says that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's more that we could share but we're going to close. It's life changing, it's life altering when you find out whose you are. It really is. Because no matter what happens to you, and stuff will happen to you, stuff happens to me, this life is just not fair. It's wicked, it's evil, it's wrong. And why we live in it, stuff will happen. But the one thing that keeps you going is I know I am in Christ. I belong to him. And he'll... He'll, he'll get me through all of this life. There'll be battles, there'll be scars, there'll be stuff happens, but he'll get me through everything in this life. And then at the end of it, he'll take me into glory Amen. for all eternity with him. Amen. And the evidence of that, his Holy Spirit in me, I'm sealed. That means he's coming back for me and he's coming back for you too. So that's whose you are tonight. And when you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. You'll not even doubt it anymore. You'll say, I am in Christ. He's mine and I'm his. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the confidence that you give us, not in ourselves, in all of ourselves, but the confidence that we have in Christ, that we belong to him, that he belongs to us. So, Lord, as we go out into this fresh week, Lord, we don't know what we're going to face this week. We don't know what's ahead. But, Lord, we know that you're already in it to take us through it successfully because we belong to you. Yes. We are your children tonight. So we give you thanks, Lord, for what you are and for what you have done for us. And we praise you and honor you that we are your sons and daughters tonight and that you love us with an everlasting love. And your seal is upon us for all eternity. And so we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information 
www.mpc.org.uk.